Hey friends, welcome to the Your Pastor Reads Books podcast, where you'll hear pastors of varying backgrounds and denominations discuss their love of reading and the specific books that are helping shape them to be wholehearted followers of Jesus and better givers of spiritual care to others. This season, my guests are reading history, fiction, memoir, theology, and children's books, which means you or your kids might get some good book recommendations in a genre you love. But in addition to that, I think you'll be inspired by the unique stories of some of my guests, not just the story of how they became passionate readers, but their life stories in areas of expertise and passion that make them who they are in the body of Christ. Now, some people might get nervous about a local church pastor serving in a dual role as the town librarian, but not the people in Brooklyn, Iowa, population 1,500. Today, my guest pastor, Josh Gerard, talks about his unique opportunity to plan story time hours for kids, summer reading programs, and community theater productions for people in the community. They love him for it, and it's a way for him to be available to people outside the four walls of his church. Join us for this unique conversation about the children's storytime hour book that made Josh cry on his first read-through to a group of preschoolers, and a conversation about the power of words to sow love or shame into other people's lives. What book inspired tears in this conversation? It's Brandon Walden's Seeds and Trees. Hope you enjoy it. Josh, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Yeah, it's, this is exciting. Um, those of uh, those who are listening don't know this, but this is the first time you and I have met. We have a mutual friend uh, who has been going to your church, actually, in Brooklyn, Iowa. And she has just said so many wonderful things about you, including that you are not only the pastor of her church, but the town librarian. And so can you tell me just a little bit about how that came to be? Uh, Well, we moved here back in 2010, and I had been ministering for quite some time down in Oklahoma, and I have a vast experience in retail because I've I've pretty much been bivocational most of my ministry. Um, And so I came up here and I was doing retail again, and someone said in 2019, they said, hey, there's this position coming open for the librarian. The, the person there is retiring. And my heart just leapt. And I was like, that sounds amazing. There's no way I'd get that job. Uh, I, I can articulate things and I'm well read, but I'm like, there's, that, there's no way. And so I put in the application and after three months later, they said, you're the guy we want for it. Wow. Why were you the guy? Do you know? Did they ever tell you that? Um, I think a lot of it had to do with my background, both as uh, someone who I'm okay with people. I think I'm, mm-hmm. I'm good with people. I have customer service skills that I think translate well mm-hmm. in serving the general public, but also I was able to look back. I, was an associate pastor for many years. And a big part of that was uh, I was the youth director. Mm. So I worked with uh, kids and teens for over a decade. I knew how to run programs. I knew how to make it fun. And when they saw that I could engage children in for the library, they were like, yes, 
that, wow. please. That's so cool. So you're a full-time librarian, full-time pastor. You also do community theater on the side. So you're artsy. Um, How does your life outside of church inform your ministry? I just want to be connected um, to to quote a a very popular movie. I want to be where the people are. Uh, I want to, the, the things that they're involved in, the things that they're passionate about, where I can connect with them, I try to do that. And so uh, this is one of the ways I've been able to see that happen is through through uh, plays, through community theater. Uh, it's something that started up shortly after the pandemic for us in our little town. We have a very small community theater and opera house, and uh, they recently restructured it. And so we've just started doing plays. And this last Christmas, they let me do one that I wrote about 15 years ago that is Christ-centered. And so it's just been a joy to bring that into the community and see the community really rally behind it. Wow. I have. I've been like, I'm like, I'm going to do plays about Jesus. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's okay. They're funny. So, yeah. Wow. That's so cool. I love that. So theater has been part of your background for a long time, or you've just, you've been writing plays, you've been working with kids, doing theater. Yeah. I started uh, writing plays when I was still in college at Oral Roberts University. Um, I started writing the first one in systematic theology. Uh, I probably shouldn't have, probably shouldn't have been paying attention, but uh, that's, that's what I did. I started writing a play. Wow. Uh, and that one was, that's still my wife's favorite. It's called the trials of Job, a comedy, (laughs) which, uh, that's, that's my sense of humor. Um, so yeah, I've had a lot of fun doing that. So you, they probably didn't have a minor in playwriting at ORU, huh? That you could, you could do a drama department. They had, they had a lot of opportunities. I just never ventured into that. I was so excited about getting into the word, um, mm. knowing hermeneutics, knowing apologetics, getting into to all that dense theology, uh, and then making it applicable and relatable mm. and, and breaking it down for people to help them understand, help them explain it. Very much what Philip talks about with the eunuch on the, the desert road, mm. when the eunuch goes, how will I know it unless someone explains it to me. Mm-hmm. That's always been the thing that I've been passionate about. So I majored in theology in New Testament and Old Testament uh, at ORU and, and didn't even think about drama until much hmm. later. But it sounds like playwriting has been the way to break it down for people. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. So you've been, you've been artsy, you've been a reader, you've been a person of the word, capital W, but also of words. How did your love for reading develop? Can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, well, my parents were evangelists and they were with the Assemblies of God. Uh, and we went all over the United States when I was a baby till 13 years old. And so I would be in this little area uh, of a vehicle um, tucked away And for many, many hours at a time, and for whatever reason, thank God, I did not get car sick if I read a book. Hmm. 
And I read book after book after book after book. That's how I spent Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, Choose Your Own Adventure. Oh, I love Choose Your Own Adventure. Same. Guilty. Mm -hmm. I I read all those uh, and just had a blast. And then I I never stopped until I had my first uh, foray into college where I started reading all these dense theology books Mm. and I I stopped having time until I had kids again. And then I Mm. fell in love with reading again. That's awesome. So I I don't know if you, if you're anything like me, I also love books, uh, which might be obvious at this point to anyone listening, but, uh, we read everything I loved as a kid, we read to our kids. And is that what it looked like for you? Or did you discover some new things that you loved with them? Well, we, and this is so when you're doing stuff with your children, it hits so different. Um, so I've got, uh, we call them the bigs and the littles. I've got my uh, 16 and 17 year old, and then I've got my nine and 11 year old. And so we've read all these books to them. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm talking like four or five. We were starting them young. We read the Bible uh, to them, their children's Bible, all the way up. And I would get super emotional reading some of these stories Hmm. to them about God's love. And I'm like trying to keep my emotions in check. And they're like, Dad, just read the story. (laughs) But we would, one of my favorite things we ever did, I read them the entire Chronicles of Narnia series Hmm. to both sets of kids at different times. And I will, I'll do the voices, you know, reap a cheap and, and, uh, you know, speaking the the British accent and all that stuff. And the kids just loved this and it came alive for them. And, uh, that's where they learned. We have the rule. You read the books first and then you watch the movie. So you can be horribly disappointed that the movie is nothing like the book. It's been great. I I love reading to my children. And the fact that I get to do it here now at the library is just fantastic. And are they readers now too, like your older kids? Yes. Uh, My oldest daughter, uh, my three youngest the most, my oldest son is, he's probably more of a video gamer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's got an esports scholarship to Mm -hmm. a college. So he's like, gotta gotta play those games, dad. I'm like, yeah, but he, he likes to read in moments. He knows how to read a book. He knows knows, how to read. He knows how to appreciate literature. Oh, I love that so much. I also read the Chronicles of Narnia to our kids multiple times. We have three and they're spaced out differently and it's just beautiful. And it's just an interesting thing to think about you as a kid, like maybe to age 13, just going all over the United States with your nose in a book, you know, and, and there weren't kids, you know, in the car with you or were there. Or like, did you have anything Uh, else to entertain you? Five different, uh, five year age gap between Mm. me and my youngest sister. She's my only sibling. Mm. And so um, we would eventually be in that car having little fights or Mm -hmm. arguing and saying, are we there yet? But no, for the most part, I was just really quiet. Just, just read constantly. Wow. Yeah. What a unique childhood experience too to grow up with. So the book that you want to talk about today is connected to children and to childhood. So can you tell us a little bit about the book that you are sharing that has, has shaped you in this season of following Jesus? So thank you for letting me choose a kid's book, by the way, because 
I'm sure you don't get a lot of that. Um, but so when I first got to start looking at books to add to our collection here at the library, um, this one just kind of jumped out at me because of the art first and foremost. I actually bought it because of the art, not really knowing a whole lot about it. And it's this book called Seeds and Trees by Brandon Walden. And I got it here and I have this, there's kind of this ongoing gag I have with a lot of the, the parents that come to our story times is I don't pre-read the books. I just jump into it and we see what happens. Really? Okay. That's, that's not a thing that I recommend for any good librarian because there's been a few books that I'm like, Oh no. Um, but this book, um, I almost wish I had read it because right from the jump, I got emotional first time reading in front of all wow. these, all these kids. It is about this young prince who has seeds planted by others in his life. Some good seeds, some bad seeds. And they take the shape of trees in his garden. And they're the, the good seeds that are planted by the interactions and the words that are spoken over him uh, become good, big, green, leafy trees. But the bad seeds, the ones that fester in his heart, the ones that are those things of shame and guilt, um, they become these uh, prickly, thorny, dark trees that tend to overshadow the good, uh, the good trees in his life. And there's this excerpt here um, that I got <laughs> that I had until I flipped the page the wrong way um, that says uh, each word... Each seed was a word that someone had spoken. Each seed was collected, a trinket, a token. It didn't quite matter from where it had come, a stranger, a friend, a whisper made up. He rose every morning to water the seeds from each of the words he'd already received. Hmm. Uh, when someone spoke nice, not anything mean, they'd hand him a seed whose true essence was green. But sometimes the seeds would come bringing pain, seeds of dark color whose trees produced shame. Wow. And it's, I'm reading this to, you know, preschool, kindergarten, first grade. And I just saw that they connected with that. Hmm. They understood words have power, words have meaning. And the, and the things we say to each other can really affect our hearts and minds. And we, if you're like me, I, I like I said, I worked in retail for a long time and there would be things that people would say to a, they don't know me. I don't know them, but they might say a cutting word mm -hmm. and I'd find myself still thinking about it a few days later sometimes and it really eat at me. Mm. And that's what this book really starts to touch on the things, especially close people to us in our lives that they can say really good things and lift us up. Mm. And then other things that can bring shame and hurt into our lives. And we can allow that to define us more than anything else. Um, and the, the thing that really comes about in this book is a friend comes along and says, I see your dark trees mm. have overgrown your garden and that that's become who you are more than anything else. I can see the remnants of green, the good that's there, but this darkness is, is what's pervading the land. Mm. And so she comes along and she, with her tools, 
they start to hack down these giant trees and they start speaking good over one another and life over one another. Hmm. And eventually over a long period of time, they take down all these dark trees and they cast them into the sea. And it's really, wow. really powerful. Wow. It, it's amazing uh, because, you know, as adults, we know there are a lot of resources for us, Christian or not Christian or whatever faith tradition um, we are, I don't know, at least at this moment in history, a lot of people are comfortable talking about past trauma and, you know, childhood origin stories that have affected them or marked them. But to know that there is a book that can sort of like explain this to three-year-olds oh, yeah. and have them get it and also have them receive a vision for how to what to do with those dark seeds. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, I love, there's a quote just at the end of the book um, that just says, be careful what you water for mm. it will surely grow. Whoa. That's almost haunting. I know. <laughs> it's it, haunting it, when you say it like that with your deep voice. <laughs> <laughs> I say it a little different when I'm reading it to the children. You know, be careful what you water. But, you know, it's, <laughs> um, I, I definitely keep it lighter. But I just remember reading this and, and the parents just being like, wow. whoa, that is so profound. And so wow. Powerful. Yeah. I mean, there might've been some parents who were like, I need to go talk to my therapist right now, you know, or <laughs> find one. Wow. So as a pastor, or like as a follower of Jesus, how has this book just like shaped you on your journey? It's really reminded me the, A, just the power we give words. Um, I want to make sure I am sowing good into people's lives. Um, that can be a hard thing because we live in a fallen world and boy, when we get up against one another, conflict always arises and, and it's hard sometimes to speak good. We're called to speak truth, but Jesus says truth in love, mm -hmm. truth in love. If we take the love out of there, we're going to be sowing dark seeds into people's lives. Mm. And that is not something I want to do with other people. I want them to be like, even if it was a, a hurt or a, if, even if it was a rebuke or a correction, I want it to be a good thing in that mm. person's life. Mm. And the, the other thing I really like about that book is that it does take community. It takes relationship with people. We are not called to live this life alone. We are called to have that uh, Paul-Timothy relationship or, you know, the, the James, Peter, James, and John. Mm -hmm. We're called to have people with us that can surround us and be like, hey, I see you're going through stuff right now. I see you're struggling and help you tend your garden, help make sure the good is growing in there and not the dark. How does that play out for you as someone who shepherds people then? Um, and how does that work itself into your church and the kind of church community that you are nurturing? Uh, I try to make sure people know I am available. I think something that I've just seen over my years in ministry is that pastors are, are sort of this, they're this leader that you see on Sunday morning and you allow them to speak over you uh, the word of God 
and you shake hands with them, and then I'll see you next Sunday. And that's a very narrow relationship. That's that's very hard to yeah. to do much anything else. You might get the phone call for a prayer request here or there, but I'm like ministry relationship. It's a 24 seven thing. It's a, if you need me, uh, I'm a phone call. I'm a text. I'm a, I'm there. Um, it doesn't mean I can always drop everything, but I will always get back and I will always touch base. And the best thing that has happened in this current job that I'm at my secular job is people know I'm a pastor. We have, a, it's a small town. People know I'm a pastor. And so I have people come in asking me about the things of God. And when I'm at the library, I'm a librarian. I don't, uh, you know, when people come in. I don't go, Hey, would you like to check out a book and accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and savior? I don't do that. But people keep, searching me out for these things uh, because they know. And a, a powerful thing happened just a few weeks ago. And I believe it's one of those God ordained, God orchestrated times where sometimes I'll just see the library is cleared out of all people. And a guy came in who he's visited our church once before and he had questions and we didn't see him again for a very long time. And he came in, just this a couple of weeks ago, no one else was in the library. And he goes, he's like, so I knew you'd be here because you're the librarian. And I went to your church and I've just been running from God. And I'm, I'm just sick of just trying to do this life by myself. And I want to accept Jesus in my heart. And can you help me do that? Mm. To have moments like that. Wow. To have God orchestrate things like that just because uh, I am where I am. It's amazing. It's powerful. It's really beautiful. And yeah, I, I, it's almost like having two congregations, right? I mean, not truly, but in the, in the biblical sense of the word, but you have a whole group of people who are looking to you for guidance outside of the four church walls and often for spiritual guidance. And you know, so often, I mean, I've been bivocational as a pastor. I know other people who are bivocational, they're teachers, they work in schools, um, they're in the medical field. And what you often hear from bivocational pastors, and for those listening, bivocational means that um, a person might be the pastor of a church, but also working another job to support their family. And a lot of times, you know, we, we focus on the stress of that, you know, like the, the piece of how do you get more hours in the day? Like, how do you get everything done? How do you take a day off? Right. How do you uh, handle all of the needs of the family? But one thing that you're highlighting is that one of the unique gifts of, of this bivocational life that you lead is that you have this opportunity to speak into the lives of people who would not walk into your church. And so I, I wonder if you have any words of encouragement or advice even to bivocational pastors who are in your situation. I can just say that in every place, every job I've done really since I was 16 years old, 
I've sought God to be a light there. And I have, I have worked some, some dark places, some dark jobs. Uh, I did a, a nine years at a truck stop uh, that was, ooh, it was a mm. dark place at times. But every single place I went, the best thing I could always do before I went into that place was say, God, help me shine a light here. Help me be of service here. Help me to make your name known here. And if I can't do it, send me to the place that I can. And time and time again, I got to have those conversations that I was often not looking to have. Mm-hmm. Again, I there are times, man, where, yeah, I will, I will bring the word. But when I'm at a secular job, I'm there to, to do a job. I'm there mm-hmm. to, to work. And yet people would seek me out to have a conversation, would seek me out. And so I would just say, pray that prayer before you go into a job. Um, At the job that you're at now, God, how can I make your name known? How can I shine a light? How can I bring you glory? And if this isn't the place where I can do those things, God, I believe you're opening doors to the place where I can. Because... We do a job for money, for insurance, for a whole bunch of reasons. But the most important thing we can do in this life is to know God and to make him known. And I believe that is so much more than in church, so much more than our house. I believe that should touch every single area of our life. Yeah. Amen. That's, it's really good. And, you know, there are these times when, as you say, like, if you're not invited to share your faith or talk to people about Christ, you're still able to bring, uh, you're you're still able to bring a, the salt, right? You're mm-hmm. able to bring the light through your character, through the way that you're interacting with other people. And I, I um, do some substitute teaching sometimes in our school district. And so there was a day last week where there was a student teacher, and so I literally was just sitting at a desk all day reading a book. But uh, oh, and I don't love that because. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm contributing very much, right? Um, but during the lunch hour, a boy came in when I was with another teacher, and he just mentioned that his ankle had been swollen like for a week and had gotten an injury. And, you know, I was saying stuff like, Well, has have you had anyone look at it? And and are you putting ice on it? And are you, you know, do you have anyone to care for this? And no, I've just been trying to play soccer with my other foot. And, and it just became really clear really quickly that here was a kid who did not have a parental figure for whatever reason, who was, you know, able to attend to his Mm. need. And so it was an opportunity right then for me and this other teacher to just offer care. And there, these kids are not always going to know like, oh, this is the care of Jesus Christ. Right. But they do experience the love of God in these moments where we are just offering care. Yeah. I live for those moments. Oh, so amazing. And you never know when they're going to come. True. Then we're there. You just be ready for them. Yes. So has anyone ever pushed back on you as pastor, who is the town librarian? Like, have you ever gotten any flack for that in your town or? I have been surrounded by a world of favor. Wow. So, um, no, none whatsoever, uh, in that regard. Um, you know, probably the, 
only flack I ever get is uh, demanding my actors be on time for uh, practice. Um, so that's, uh, that's the only bit of drama in my life that, and just trying to make time for family and everything else in my twenties, when I was associate pastoring, I put ministry at the top Mm. and had to learn that. No, it's, it's always God on top and then family and then the ministry. You know, I think so many pastors feel that way and have learned that lesson the hard way, you know, to, to not make ministry the idol. Um, I do want to go back to the book that you shared actually, because I, Uh, forgot about this question I had, but, you know, you mentioned in the book, there's almost like this savior figure who comes along and says, let's get, let's uproot some of these bad trees. Mm -hmm. So like how, as you read this book and as you've processed it, um, and, and obviously I'm not asking you to disclose anything super personal, but like, did that expose to you trees that needed to be uprooted in your own life? And like, how did you think about going about doing that? And, um, like I said, we often have those things where people will say something in our life that is cutting or will hurt us, will take it down, take us down. Uh, and, and then we can make that, um, we can make that a whole thing that keeps us, that, that is an impediment in our walk with God and keeps us from discipling someone. It's that old axiom, hurt people, hurt people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always have to be careful of that, especially in, in the secular uh, vocation uh, at that truck stop that I had, because so many other people were walking around with hurt that would tend to try to leech onto me. And, and then I would lash out and hurt hmm. and we're not as Christians. They will know that we are Christians by our love. And so we're not called to lash out and hurt if mm-hmm. you know, we're called to, to be sacrificial. Um, there was uh, this one other quote in here uh, of this person that is helping the prince. Um, she says, we will care for your green trees and even plant more seeds, but your dark trees will fall as this new life is sown. Hmm. And to me, that's, that's all about transformation. That's about, you know, we become new, a new creation. Hmm. The old has passed away and all things have become new as we let Jesus come in to our hearts and minds, as we make him Lord. It's amazing how for it happened to me when I was 16, it it was this, you know, this release, this unburdening, you know, the, the, the darkness had nothing on the light and Jesus just shone through all that in an instant. And it's still a process. It's still a journey. It's still remembering that every day he is Lord and the darkness has no stronghold, no foothold. It doesn't matter. My roots in Christ go deeper than Mm. than anything else that the devil in the world could, could try to throw my way. Mm, that's beautiful that'll preach right as they say (laughs) that'll preach well josh thank you so much for being here today i really appreciated you taking the time out of this very full life that you lead thank you so much for having me it was great and uh yeah thanks uh to laura for introducing us that was great that's right thanks laura 
Thanks for listening in on my conversation with Pastor Josh Gerard. Josh is a reluctant social media user, so if you want to follow his ministry, you can go to his church's website at newbeginningsbrooklyn.com. It's also linked in the show notes. Also, if you want to support the podcast in spirit or with your bank account, you can subscribe to it at yprb.substack.com and get episodes straight to your inbox or give it a rating on your favorite podcast listening platform. Every review and rating helps helps to get the word out. Once again, I'm your host, Heather Weber. And for more information about me, head on over to my website at heatherweber.org. That's Weber with one B. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you get time to read a great book today.